Well, if you are just joining us here this morning, we're glad you're here. And uh, one of the things that we, are, we just started last week is we kicked off the book of John, the Gospel of John. And you may have, uh, have heard of that. You thought, Gospel, what is that? And these are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you're thinking, isn't it the gospel of Jesus? And the answer is yes. Uh, the word gospel is the good news. Uh, and so it's the good news of Jesus. But this is according to John. So this is from John's angle. Uh, and, and John is just, it's just so good. It is just so deep. I don't know if you've actually just sat and read through the book of John, but it is, I mean, it's like a kiddie pool for, for, our, for beginners to, to swim in. But it, it is vast enough for a blue whale to, to dive into. And so it's for the beginner and it's for the veteran. There is so much packed into the, into the Gospel of John that is just so, so wonderful. I mean, one of the world's most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3.16, many of us could probably recite this by heart, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? This is this classic verse that's just so, so rich and so full of heart. And it is, this is the, a picture of the whole book of John. But there's, there's, there's parts of John that you go, wait, what, what happened to this? There's actually a lot of the book of John that he leaves out. Uh, so John doesn't talk in much about the, the, the narrative of parables, right? He doesn't, he doesn't go into that as much. You don't see the transfiguration. You don't see the Lord's Supper. There's no casting out of demons. Uh, there, there's, there's no uh, temptation of Christ, and you're wondering why. Why is that not in there? But I think that's to make room for a different version of the gospel. Not different as in like ulterior, but it, it gives you more space to get an unpacked version of Jesus. And so in one sense, the gospel of John, because it's telling you all these things you didn't know, it almost feels like you're like, all right, we're getting, we're getting the real Jesus. We're getting the exclusive, like the Jesus you never heard before. This is one of those stories that we would probably sell today, right? Um, and so you get, you get the woman at the well, this rich story. You get, you get you know, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You get him turning water into wine. You get all of the I am statements. And so you get all this, this richness in the, in the Gospel of John. And at the very end of the book, he gives us the purpose for the whole book. And so at the very end of the book, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, but these are written, this whole book, the reason I wrote it, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the gospel of John is, is unapologetically evangelistic. It is trying to get you to believe wrote these so that you may believe. It's trying to convert you on the spot. And so that, that's what it's doing. It's, it's going to tell you why you should become a Christian. It's going to tell you how you can become a Christian. And then for those of us who are Christians, it's going to tell you what is the Christian life. It's going to give you a picture of what that actually is. And so it is, it is a critical book for us as, as Christians. And so last week, Malcolm kicked us off in, into the Gospel of John. This week, we're picking up where he left off. We're looking at... at John the Baptist, and so um, one of, it's a different than the John, the author of this book, by the way. But here, here's the path of where we're going today. Who is John? Who is Jesus? And who are you? So pretty simple. Who is John? Who is Jesus? Who are you? Uh, and so who is John? I think when we talk about who someone is in, in our culture today, if someone says, if they really want to know who you are, the question that we like to ask is, what do you do? 
right? That, I think that that happens all the time in every single conversation. And there is an expectation if you don't do something, then you're not a person, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, I've got to justify that. And so what do you do? And you're like, okay, I'm a teacher. All right, that's who I am. I'm, I'm, that's my identity. I'm a teacher or I'm, I'm a social worker. That's who I am. Even if you would say, like, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Sometimes there's that shame there. They're like, oh, I've got to find something else to say of what I do. There's, that's who I am. That, that people want to find out what is it that we do. They want to hear that. And so in the Western cultures, there is an expectation of who you are is what you do. Now, I would say that, that in light of Hispanic Heritage Month here, I think there is a different expectation when we try to find out who you are. When you try to find out who you are in Hispanic culture, is asking a little bit more about where, what's your background, what, what's your heritage, what's your family like? You can say that, see that in Asian cultures as well, right? So, you know, when they would say, like, who are you? would say, well... Let me tell you who my parents are. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the aunt of these children, or I, I'm, I'm, I'm married to these people. These are my parents. This is the lineage. And so there's the, let me, let me take out those family photos and show you all the people that I have with me. And so this is, the, this is how you find out who someone is. Who is John? Let's find out what he does and, 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 and what his family background is. Who is John? John is the baptizer. That's what he does. John the Baptist. He's not Baptist. You can't have him if you are a Baptist. <laughs> you can't claim him. That's not him. He, that denomination did not exist yet. It's just fact. John the baptizer might be more appropriate. <laughs> That's what he does. He's just always baptizing people. Second, where do you come from? He, he was a pastor's kid. He was a PK. He came from Zechariah, right? Six months ahead of Jesus, right? So that, that's who John is. That's where he's coming from. But I think what is probably, to me, the most interesting and I think also telling thing about who John is, is not necessarily what he did, where he came from. It's what he wore and what he ate, his diet. I wouldn't say that about anyone else here. Like, who are you? Well, let me tell you what I eat. This is so radical that I think it's important. So from Matthew 3, 4, so outside of the Gospel of John, now John, the baptizer, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. His food was locusts, bugs, and honey. <laughs> and so John's a weird dude. <laughs> Like, he's just a weird dude. You, you have to imagine that that would greatly affect how he grew up in life. Like, if you were, if, I mean, everyone here knew a kid that just, you know, went around picking his nose and eating it. And you're like, just don't do it. <laughs> you're like, just stop. It, 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 it ostracizes you. I have a feeling eating bugs and honey all the time would ostracize John and make him a little bit of a different different cat, right? That's who John, that's who John is. He's the nose picker uh, who's eating bugs and sugar, uh, and he's, then he's, he's in the desert for 30 years. He's, he's, he's hopped up on bug juice, sipping on honey, laid back. Anyone? No? Okay. So, <laughs> and he comes out of the desert, and he says, repent to everyone. He tells everyone to repent. There's no one he's scared of. He's not scared of political leaders. There's a guy named Herod who was like the, the king. He was the, he was the president. He, he's saying, repent. You're sleeping with your brother's wife. And Herod's like, don't you know what I could do to you? And John's like, don't you know what God could do to you? <laughs> You're like, okay. So that, something about those bugs gave him that confidence, right? So he, he's telling that, to the, telling that to the political leaders. He's telling it to the religious leaders. They're like, who do you think you are? And that, that is... That is that is the question that is running all throughout this passage. Who do you think you are? And I think to me personally, I feel like that is probably my favorite question to ask people, um, to just escalate the conversation. 
<laughs> if you really want to get in a fight, <laughs> welcome to Slim's Masterclass on how to get into a fight. <laughs> Just say, who do you think you are? <laughs> and they, there's like really no way you could ask that without it escalating the conversation. Sometimes I like to write that in those like uh, those anonymous boxes when people like read about front. They're like, all right, so anonymously question, who do you think you are? Oh. <laughs> It, it helps. It helps a lot. Um, and so they're constantly asking, who do you think you are? Like, what, what is happening? And so the, there's just hostility with it. There's the priests and the Levites. They're, they're saying, we're coming down. We have to answer to people of who are you? Who is John? And the question is not like, here's probably the best way, the, the nicest way of saying it is, who are you? And there's two ways of saying that. Who are you? And the emphasis on who but I think the, the emphasis that the, that the priests and Levites are asking is not who are you, but who are you? Who are you? Of any, of all people. And so the, the emphasis is that he's a chump. Like, who are you? There is, there, is, there is a negativity there, hostility there. And so now just picture John in front of, I mean, he, he now has the religious leaders listening to him. He now has the political leaders somewhat listening to him. He has all the common folk behind him saying, we're following John here, otherwise they wouldn't have been coming to him. And now he could say, when they ask, who are you? He could say, I am a man of God. I speak for God. Like he, he could just claim all of the authority at this moment and say, let me tell you who I am. There, and, and, and just blast them right there. Like he has that opportunity. There's that temptation there. But in verse 20, it says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. Emphasizing both here, that he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, what? I am not the Christ. This is John's answer. Who are you? I am not the Christ. I am not Jesus. I am not the Messiah. I ain't it. Like, I can't forgive you. I can't save you. I can't fix you. I am not the answer. The promised one that you're looking for, you need to keep waiting, but it's coming. Don't look to me. I ain't it. And then they say, okay, so you're not the Messiah. Okay, well, are you Elijah? And he answers no. They say, okay, well, are you a prophet? He answers no. Now, the reason they're asking about Elijah is if you remember uh, in the last book of the Old Testament, in Malachi, there is a prophecy that Elijah would come back before John or before Jesus and prophesy about Jesus. And John doesn't actually know his own awareness. He doesn't have an awareness of who he actually is in this moment because Jesus actually tells us that John the Baptist is, the, is the, the Elijah, the prophet. And so they ask him, are you the Christ? No, that's the right answer. Are you Elijah? He says no, but he is. He's the, he is the, the messenger of, of before Jesus comes. Are you the prophet? Yes, he is, he is that prophet prophesying about Jesus. But who is John? And the answer for John is, I'm not concerned about John. John's not thinking about John. That's really what we need to know about John. <laughs> when we ask, who is John? He's like, I'm not thinking about John. I'm looking to Jesus. And I think that that is our picture for who John is. He is a pointer to Jesus. Who is John the Baptist? He is a pointer to Jesus. He is pointing us to the Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. I'm looking at this other person. And so when we say, who is John? Let's point our eyes to Jesus because that's who John's eyes are glued and fixed to. And so when we look to who John is, he's like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the guy. Look to Jesus. So now let's look at who is Jesus. John's picture of who Jesus is, is twofold. He wants us to see two things. He wants us to see his greatness, 
and his grace. Who is Jesus? We want to see his greatness and his grace. Now, another question to add to my master class on how to get into a fight, uh, not only is asking, who do you think you are, but ask the question, what gives you the right? <laughs> this is another great one, <laughs> just to throw out there in maybe a family setting, um, you know, what gives you the right? <laughs> and so it's asking, on what authority do you baptize? This is what they're trying to ask, because John is going around baptizing everybody without regard. And so in that day, they, you, would, you would get baptized, a Gentile would get baptized to become a part of the, to the Jewish tradition. It was, a way, it was an entry into it. But now John is baptizing Jews and Gentiles, anyone. They're like, how dare you say that, that we're as unclean as these dogs? And he's baptizing everyone. So they're asking, what gives you the right? What authority do you baptize? And in verse 27, John's answer is, let me tell you who I came from. Let me tell you who I serve. Verse 27, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. That's who I serve. That's who Jesus is. I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Now, in that day, if you can picture it, it was hot, it was dirty, it was dusty, and all people had were their sandals. Think of how disgusting your feet would smell at the end of a day. Like you know, people say, like, oh, my dogs are, my, my, my feet are barking. And you're like, oh, these are some stanky dogs. Like the, <laughs> these feet were disgusting. It was, it was, it was, it was just unthinkable for, for a, a servant of a master to, to take off their master's sandals and wash their feet. In fact, there was, in that day, if you were a disciple of someone, that, 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 person you're following, that leader, could tell you to do anything as like, as like an assistant. You could pick up my dry cleaning. You could go get the, my dinner. And so go get the fishes and loaves. But you could not ask them to take off your sandals because that was too menial and too degrading of a task to ask of your, of your, of your, your mentee. Now, John's answer should have been, who is Jesus? Who, who are you coming from? And his answer should have been, well, the only thing I'm worthy of doing is taking off of his sandals. But John's answer is not the only thing I'm worthy of doing. He says, I'm not even worthy of doing that. I can't even take off his sandals because do you know who I serve? Like the same God who says, let there be light and, and supernovas just explode into being. The same God who can look at tsunamis and just say, stop. And they stop. That's the same God that I'm trying to serve. I can't touch his sandals I mean, if you think about this now, think about it this way. The distance between the earth and the sun is, anyone know? 93 million miles. You are about to say that, weren't you? I interrupted you. <laughs> 93 million miles. Can you picture 93 million miles? It's hard to picture that. So let's, let's compress 93 million miles into the, into the sheet of paper. So this, this thickness is 93 million miles. This is the distance of the earth to the sun. Now, the distance between the earth and the next star compressed down, would have a stack of paper 72 feet high between the earth and the next star. 72 feet high. The Milky Way galaxy, the diameter of it, if you took that same ratio of stacking it all into a piece of paper, the diameter across it would, would go up 310 miles. That's how big our galaxy is. Like in, in the Milky Way galaxy, is just a, just a bunch of specks of dust right? You're like, <laughs> how are you going to relate to that? 
How are you going to approach that guy? He's like, I can't even touch his sandals. And the way we relate to that guy, we say, hey, don't call me, I'll call you. We treat him like the secretary. We say, I want you when I need you. Just, just don't, be, don't bug me. When I pray, I want you to listen and I want you to answer my prayers. And so we treat him like dirt, right? We treat him like don't touch my sandals. And it's just, it's a flip here. John is like, I can't take it. He's so great. And another emphasis of the greatness of Jesus that John emphasizes is when he talks about baptism. He says that Jesus, or he said, John says, I baptize with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's confusion over that phrase. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I think today we like to think of it as more just like a, an onslaught of, of the Spirit's power on us. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, what he's talking about here, John's baptism with water is a pointer to the need to be cleansed of sin. And we still celebrate those types of baptisms here today, that we, we baptize, we need our sin to be washed away. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes on you and brings your heart to life. It's regeneration. And so John's like, I baptize with water. I'm pointing you to the need for salvation. Jesus actually brings you to life. <laughs> he brings the dead to life. That's, that's what you need. And so even in John's emphasis on Jesus' greatness, it points us to the second point of Jesus' grace. You can just see how much John is just infatuated with the grace of Jesus. In verse 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Remember, John hasn't met Jesus yet. He's only talked about him. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> I mean, he's looking at Jesus and he's just like, his breathtaking. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, John is just blown away with who Jesus is, that he's beholding him, the Lamb of God. Now, what does that phrase, Lamb of God, mean? Now, John is just, he's, he's so steeped in the Old Testament. He, is, he, is, he just he has it coming out of him. And so what is the Lamb of God? The Lamb of God could be a, a number of things that he's talking about. It could be Leviticus 16 where you have the scapegoat that, that they, would, they, would then, they would put the hands on, on, the, on, the, on the goat and then have the, 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 the lamb take and bear the sins of the people and have it leave into the desert to go die. And so it was bearing the sins of the people as it went out. Or it could be the, the lamb caught in the thicket or the ram caught in the thicket in Genesis 22 as the substitute for Isaac, where Abraham is about to kill Isaac, but then they find the lamb or the ram to take its place. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Or maybe it's the Passover lamb when, when all of Israel is wondering, can we be saved? And they say, if you kill this lamb and smear the blood over the doorposts, then when the angel of the Lord comes, it will pass over you. And so you find shelter in the blood of the lamb. Maybe that's what John's talking about. Isaiah 53, 7 says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Look at the picture there. And as Jesus is, is a lamb led to the slaughter... He didn't open his mouth. He knew what he was going to go do. 
He knew that, he, that it was going to be a picture of all of this. And we ask, well, then how does, how does that lamb take my sins away from, away from me? Verse 6, right, the verse right before this in Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so I think John is just putting them all together, all these pictures of what this lamb imagery is. That yes, Yes, he, he is bearing our sins. He is taking our sins because we laid it on him. And then we, we set him out into the desert to go die. That, that he is the lamb caught in the thicket that, that is the substitute sacrifice for us. That he is the Passover lamb that we find shelter in the blood of Jesus. This, this is who John is, is infatuated with, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's this beautiful, beautiful image. I mean, it is a beautiful image, but I think... Part of how beautiful it is is how radical it is. Like, grace is radical when we think about it. When we think about grace, and we actually do consider it, it's almost unfair. And, it, and, and there's, there's an inner justice side of all of us that wants to say, that's not right, that's not fair. Now, mercy is what? Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so the picture of this is this. Let's say you get caught cheating on your exam. You're cheating on your exam. You get caught. Now what you deserve is to be expelled from the school. You deserve to get a, a zero, to fail. Mercy is saying, we're not going to expel you. We're not going to give you a zero. We'll let you do it again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is now getting what you don't deserve. Grace is saying, we're going to take this kid's paper and give it to you. So now you get 100, and we're expelling him. And part of you goes, yay for me. I don't want that for him. It's not fair. And it's not. It's not fair. And this is the radical nature of grace. It is not fair. And so we want justice, but we better want grace too. We need it. We need, we need that grace. It's not fair, but I, that's the only way we have a, a way out from this, that we need that grace. And so John is saying, behold the Lamb of God. And when you behold the grace like that, it gives you that freedom like, like a kid running in a park. You get to run free in God's kingdom. When you actually understand that grace, and it says, he takes away the sins of the world. Now, part of that is saying every single person without distinction, every single person can get that part of that grace. But I also think there is a, there is a future aspect to this, the sins of the cosmos, that there is, there is an there is a apocalyptic nature to this, that, that he, is the, he is the apocalyptic warrior lamb who is who's going to make all things new who takes away the sins of the world. He's going to make it all right again. Amen? Amen. Now, so that's Jesus. You've heard about John, but who are you? And this is, this is the question I want to ask, because that question of, of who are you, your identity, you can answer in a myriad of ways. But I want to say, in light of who Jesus is, who are you? When you come face to face with Jesus, who are you? And that's, that's a scary question to ask. Who am I? I can remember when I was in college, some of you guys are going to hate me for this, I went to Texas A&M, sorry, <laughs> but my wife went to Baylor, so we're, we're good, right? Uh, <laughs> 
Well, I went to Texas A&M, and I, was, I knew I wanted to be a pastor, but I also said, but maybe I also want to be a high school football coach. And so I also volunteered at first, but then got to work for the A&M football uh, program, and I was an equipment manager for the A&M football team. And so as an equipment manager, as you might expect, some of the duties of an equipment manager is to manage the equipment, to take care of the helmets and the pads and the jerseys and all of that good stuff. Um, but they would also set up their practice fields. And so they'd set up cones, they would set up the blocking dummies and all of the good things. And now an equipment manager was also assigned a position coach. So I was assigned the tight ends and special teams coach. And it was great, it was fine. I, 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 first day I got yelled at and cussed out. The second day though, <laughs> so day two in, I was thinking maybe today will be better. But day two, my position coach had to go to a funeral, and so he put me in charge of uh, getting our tight ends to every uh, segment of what they needed to do for practice. It was like 25 segments, and you're just told, you know, this segment does this, this segment does this. Now, for tight ends, it was a little bit difficult. Bear with me, this may be too long of an illustration. <laughs> tight ends, they both help in run blocking, but they also do uh, pass skeleton, pass drills, and things like that. And so there was one drill where um, our tight ends had to do both in the same segment. And so our, our coach said, hey, after seven plays, you need to take Martellus Bennett to, from the running drills over to the passing drills. Martellus Bennett was the number one tight end in the country coming out of high school. He was a first-round draft pick. He won the Super Bowl with uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> I'm a junior in college. I know what to do. <laughs> all right, so like, all right, all I have to do is just tell him where to go. And so I take, I, I'm watching the, the, this period, and I'm counting to seven. Okay, one play, two play, three play, four play, five play, six play, seven plays. I'm like, great. All right, Martellus, we're going to pass skeleton. So I take him to pass skeleton, um, the, the passing drills. And when I'm over there, I, I take him there, and I, I start walking back. I'm feeling very confident in myself. I'm like, ah, that was the part I was worried about. I did it. I counted to seven. I might need to get a raise. I'm pretty good. Maybe, maybe this football thing will work out. I could count to seven. Uh, but that didn't work out so well because then I, see, I hear at the running drills, there's all this commotion and people yelling, going like, where's Martellus? Where's Martellus? Where's Martellus? And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, they're like, go get him. So I went and run to go get Martellus Bennett. We run back, uh, we're jogging back towards the, the running drills, and the head coach of Texas A&M is now walking uh, towards us. He's fast walking towards us. You know, like that little angry walk that, that coaches can get. Um, so he's walking at us. This is the highest paid employee at Texas A&M. He makes millions of dollars, and, he, and he's, he's walking towards us, and he's just, he's just yelling at Martellus, like, where are you? You're never where you're supposed to be. And he's yelling at him. And, and so then we're now walking back to the running drill, and I'm walking behind them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. And he's like, he's like oh, I can't believe you did this. And he's like, coach, coach, Slip told me to go. And I was like, oh, just <laughs> step away. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I just remember they both turned to look back at me. <laughs> and he goes, Slip told me. He goes, who the heck is Slim? And that's the church version of that. <laughs> and, I, and I was just like, oh, no. And he turns, he goes, he points, and, and he's just like, oh. and I was just like, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. <laughs> nothing, nothing. <laughs> I felt so bad. So then Martellus runs away, and Coach Frank gets in my face, Dennis Franchione, and he gets in my face, and he's just like, don't you ever tell my players where to go or I will throw you out of this. Do you know who I am? Who do you think you are? All the things that were said before, right? <laughs> Escalating the conversation, right? 
And he just, just lit into me, and I felt terrible. I was like, two days in, cussed out twice. It's a pretty good uh, thing. Uh, but that, that question, who the heck is Slim, has rung in my ears for a long time. Like, who are you? Who are you? Answer that question for yourself. How would you answer? Who are you? Who is blank? Who is slim? Who is... Who, how would you answer that question? Who are you? Are you a nobody the way I felt when the coach just laid into me? Like, I'm a nobody. Jesus didn't die for nobodies. Are you a somebody? Are you important? I think John gives us a great picture of who am I. A a, a healthy identity is what John throws out there. When they're asking him, who are you, who are you, who are you? Finally, in verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so who am I? They're asking, who am I? And John says, I'm just a voice. (laughs) That's all I am. I'm just a voice. I'm I'm just a voice saying, you know, don't pay any attention to me. I'm just a voice telling you about Jesus. Like, by myself, I'm no one. But in Christ, I'm a son or daughter of the living king. That's who I am. Like, that's who I am. And he says, I'm just making a way straight the way. Now, in those days when a king would come to a town, but the roads weren't like I-35, well, maybe more, actually more like I-35 right now, but they weren't like highways. There were, were all these potholes and debris in the way, and so a herald would go before the king and say, hey, the king's coming, the king's coming, the king's coming, make straight the way. And so then he would help all of the people fill all of the holes, potholes, and they would clear the roads so that the king could come by and they could watch uh, the effulgence of his splendor pass by and say, oh, that's the king, that's the prince, Right? John is saying, all I am is a construction worker filling holes, saying the king is coming. So why are you talking about me? The king is coming. Stop talking about me. That's who John is. He's like, they're they're like, you're so self-righteous. You're so arrogant. He's like, get ready. Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the Christ? No. John is just displaying just immense humility. He is not self-righteous. He is not arrogant. Now, when we talk about humility, I think so many times when people hear humility, they think self-loathing. They think Eeyore, you know, just woe is me. I think that's what they think of. And I don't want you to hear that at all, that that you are precious in his eyes. Like humility, as you've probably heard this before, humility isn't thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of yourself less. Did I say that right? Humility isn't thinking of less of yourself. There we go. It's thinking of yourself less. There's no way to confuse you that way. Uh, let's just say it this way. It's spending less time thinking about yourself is humility. Spending less time thinking about yourself. Like, if I'm, if I'm only thinking in the third person, man, Slim's hungry. Slim wants this. That's, that's a problem, Right? That's a problem. If you're thinking that way, if you're always thinking about what you want, what you need in the third person. But John isn't thinking about John. He is beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you behold the Lamb of God, there is no room for your own glory. It pushes it out. When you are beholding the Lamb of God, it kills your superiority complex 
but it also kills your inferiority complex as well. And so I think when we t- many times when we want to think about, you know, I'm thinking about myself, we think of, well, we're just always looking ourselves in the mirror. And yes, maybe we think of our appearance too much. Maybe, maybe we care too much about what likes and how many likes we got on social media. Maybe that is it. But did you know that also means when we're thinking of ourselves, it also talks about when you're thinking of yourself in a very self-loathing way? Man, I'm trash. You ever said that about yourself? Like, I don't... I don't even have a voice to speak in front of these people. I am nobody. No one wants to hear from me. And, and the whole time that we keep thinking about ourselves, we're, we're, we're still thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about our unworthiness. And I want to tell you this morning let's think less of ourselves and behold the Lamb of God. Because when you do that, you realize two things you realize His greatness, but His grace. And his grace would never, ever, ever let you think of yourself that way. Because he loves you and he cares for you and he sees you as precious. There's no way for us to think of ourselves that way. And because when we think about God, it humbles us, it invigorates us to a relationship that we should say is just too good to be true. But it is true. It is true. And so beholding him means you can't behold yourself. And do you see, when we meet Jesus, it kills our God complex because we met the real God. It kills our Savior complex because we met the real Savior. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I ask you this morning, who are you? We got to meet who, who is John. He's a voice. We know who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God. But who are you? You're a child, you're a daughter, you're a son of the king. See yourself that way. Because you are that way, because you're the child of God, the Lord is inviting you today to think less about yourself and to think more about him, to behold him in his glory. And when you do that by the Holy Spirit's power, you can see the sweetness of his greatness in the sweetness of his grace. I pray that's the way you, you, you walk out of here today, knowing what the Lord thinks about you in that regard. Let me pray for us.